It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 296, The Man at the Gatherings and Spiritual Warfare. On the way to confront a demonic army, in the last episode, Jesus and his disciples are attacked at sea by a demonic storm. And it's no wonder because on the other side, an army was waiting for him. For this was Jesus' objective. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And when and as they did, the attack came. The enemy was watching and watching, afraid of what may happen if Jesus crossed the water. What we learned from the gatherings in this episode is it's a demonic stronghold. And while it was predominantly Jewish on one side of the Sea of Galilee, it was pagan on the other. And further, we'll learn later at Caesarea Philippi, it was very, very pagan. It was even called the gates of hell. This was Caesarea Philippi. Uh, This is an area of modern Lebanon, um, the ancestral home of Jezebel. Um, Up in this area, we'll learn later, is where, um, you know, farther up in the hills and beyond, you know, her true ancestral homeland. But up there, um, we'll find Caesarea Philippi, and that's for another episode. Um, But in many ways, uh, this Galilee region is a spiritual border. And this is where Jesus chose to visit. And as he does, a war is going on in the spirit. And he hasn't visited the other side yet. But when he decides to, a spiritual attack comes. And and what we'll learn just from this one scene, that there's thousands of demons in this location across the water. And they're they're literally almost waiting at the water's edge like a beachhead uh, when Jesus crosses the, the water. And as we dig into this episode, I want to address it from a spiritual warfare perspective because it's unique and it's something you don't hear. And between all the discipleship training, there's an advanced training being deposited deep within the disciples of spiritual warfare going on. Call it advanced intercessorial training, intercessor training. Uh, This isn't your message for new believers uh, but, you know, if you were at that time in the gatherings um, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, this message was for you. You know, have you ever heard the story of Jesus casting out, you know, anywhere from two to 7,000 demons? That's this episode. It's a great story. All right, here we go. Now picture this whole scene strategically, if you can. Jesus is crossing the waters with an invasion fleet. Albeit it's a few boats and 12 dudes and some friends in tow as well. It's a pitiful physical force. But in the spirit, there's probably thousands of angels behind Jesus. And if you doubt me, we'll learn later that there's thousands of demons getting cast out. So why wouldn't there be an angelic army behind Jesus? And if you think about that story uh, with Elisha, um, and when he prayed that his servant's eyes were open, they saw that Greater he is he those who are with us than those who are against us. It's that and you know that heavenly perspective that um, heaven's armies are behind those who pray. 
So 12 or so dudes on a tiny flotilla and thousands of angels. That's what we're looking at. They're crossing the water. Sea of Galilee's 13 miles north-south, 7 miles wide. And so remember back in the days of Hezekiah when one angel took out 185,000 soldiers. These angels are unreal in their powers. Um, Jesus calms the storm and his flotilla arrives on the other side. And on the beachhead, Jesus is confronted instantly as they arrive on the shore. Mark 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had even often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons off his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So who is this guy? He's got an impure spirit, doesn't have a name. We'll learn the demons have a name, but we don't know his actual name. And he had evil supernatural strength. And we'll learn later he has thousands of demons and no one can bind him, which is interesting language because later Jesus will tell Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So this guy, and or he said something like that. So this guy is supernaturally strong. He's got thousands of demons and no one could control him. In another account, it says he cuts himself. So he's suicidal. And let's say he has a suicidal spirit, which we'll find out later implies to these pigs that he'll be, the demons will be cast into. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Matthew 8, 28 says there was two men instead of one, which is pretty interesting. But it had to be confusing. So many demons in one man. Everyone... Anyone talk to a demon-possessed person? I mean, I have. It's like, you know, they're one way one moment and then another in the next. It's very, very confusing in the natural. Matthew eight twenty-eight. When he arrived on the other side in the region of the gatherings, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs to meet him. They were so violent, no one could pass that way. What do you want to do with this, son of God? They shouted have you come here to torture us before the appointed time okay who's talking here right it, it's not a guy but it is the guy but it says they talk about pronoun confusion right first it was one dude now two and now they speak so the demons are now actually speaking through the guy Rick Renner uh, pointed out in his uh, study on the miracles of Jesus that it must have been a roar, a raging sound, as many, many demons spoke at once to Jesus. Now, Jesus just stepped off the boat, and I imagine the disciples are just sitting there not wanting to get off the boat. They're terrified. I mean, no one could pass that way. He was so violent. I would have been terrified, too. And what about the statement the demons made? They know it's Jesus, the Son of God, and they say, Have you come to torture us before the time? There's so much here. Somehow demons know they have a final destination. The lake of fire and torture where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I have to believe they know this because of Jude 1.6. You know, that's actually written later in this story. But Jude 1.6 does imply there's an early punishment for those fallen angels who transgressed before the flood. Jude 1.6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, 
but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. Beyond this, there's, you know, uh, people who talk about the book of Enoch, which is kind of like, you know, extra biblical. I think it's in the, the Catholic Bible, but it does speak of kind of an early judgment, um, you know, that these angels have received. Beyond this, there's different theories on, on the spirits that possess this man. Most say they're just fallen angels or deceased spirits of Nephilim or some dark spiritual phenomenon. I, I bucket them all as demons for simplicity. And honestly, I don't know for sure. It's, it's easy to say and understand them just simply as fallen angels or demons. And Jesus now confronts them. Notice his approach. He asked the name. Knowing the name uh, gives one authority. Uh, to command the spirit to be moved. Not that, you know, he didn't actually know the name, but he asked the name to command it by name to be gone. Mark 8.30, Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons have come, have gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. This name says it all. A legion is equivalent of a Roman army division, and max strength at 7,000 soldiers. Um, it was the legions and its flexibility, motivation, and an armament that allowed Rome to conquer and keep its empire for centuries. Notice how the demons said uh, for them not to be sent into the abyss. I mean, they begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss, which would be that darkness spoken of, uh, in Jude 1.6. Mark 5.11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So the, the spirit of suicide, which was on this guy, went into the pigs, and the pigs did much worse than cut themselves. They killed themselves, 2,000 of them. Symbolically, pigs are the most unclean of animals to Jews. And in this period, this would have meant the world to a Jew and the worst of news to a Gentile. In essence, this meant to a Jew death to unclean things. To the Gentile, you destroyed my bacon supply for five years. The commerce of a region, moving it into economic devastation. Mark 5.14 Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The reaction of the people is amazement and fear, a fear they cannot reconcile. And sometimes it takes people a while, um, you know, seeing this man day after day, you know, dressed in his right mind, normal, having conversations, looking people in the eye, <laughs> you know, having the scars to show that he had been cutting himself for years, dressed in normal clothes, going to the market, 
It, it was a testimony in itself. And sometimes that's what people need day after day after day to actually fathom what just happened. And Jesus knows what is best for them. Next, it'll be a slow economic recovery and the dose of spiritual freedom and the testimony of this man day after day after day. Um, that is most likely the best evangelism um, that, <laughs> that this town needs. And he really was visiting the land and fulfilling Isaiah 9, uh, 1, 3. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors Rejoice when dividing the plunder. Mark 5.18 As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but said, Be, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, this is the ten cities of that region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, I mean, it's fascinating. Jesus casts out the demon. And it's just, there was no other purpose for him to be there. <laughs> His assignment was to go and cast out this demon. And then the people, of course, begged him to leave. And, and you know, and he chose to leave. So, but the demon-possessed man now gets his evangelism commission. <laughs> Evangelists come in all shapes or sizes. Often the greatest evangelist is the man at the gate, beautiful, or the town drunk who gets saved. Often the greatest witness of Jesus is a testimony, a walking, talking miracle that no one can deny, one that cannot help but say the name Jesus every single day. I remember when I got saved. I must have looked weird one day, you know, day you know i must have looked one way you know going to work and then the next day i got saved must have looked different the next day after day um as i was kind of growing and maturing in christ at, at you know at work seeing me change day after day and mature from a maybe like a driven employee with little care for people at work to a person of compassion and one who prayed and even told directors and VPs they needed to pray for God to work in their lives. Like it's a far cry from my old life, you know, compared to my new. And, and that's a testimony in itself, right? So I, I love this story. I, I love this account. Jesus will do it again and again, setting the captive free. So let's pull it back again. Think strategically to end this episode. And we have to understand he strategically went to the Decapolis to overthrow a principality. That's it. He cast out 7,000 demons, and he leaves the countryside. It's amazing. He'll do something similar in Caesarea Philippi. Honor the nose of the disciples who don't even realize what he's doing. And here he overthrows the principality. In Caesarea Philippi, we can assume he closed the quote-unquote gates of hell, uh, which we'll cover later. He cuts off the head of this snake across the water, 
and he leaves a solo evangelist to speak his word. And most likely, the pieces um, of what Jesus has done, the pieces of this evangelist, uh, all the broken pieces and all the testimonies and uh, all the work that's being done will later be picked up by the disciples and they'll kind of start to assemble and build up a church in this area. But it'll be many years in the making, but this is the start. Paul the Apostle will be in Ephesus for a year, and you can't tell me he didn't walk the streets and go above the mountain of the temple to Dionysus and not have spiritual warfare with the spiritual equivalent of the goddess herself. It's assumed as spiritual warfare is going on all around us, even if we don't see it. All right, let's do the type and shadow here. We haven't done it in a while. This is the scene of the type and shadow of actual Armageddon from Revelation 19, 11 through 22. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that is no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And on his robe and on his thigh he has his name, this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the air, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So how do these scenes compare? Here's Jesus, the only one on the land. The only one required to take action the only one speaking. There was no swords. There was no violence. There was only words spoken. Jesus spoke and won this battle. Jesus defeated an entire army with only words. Jesus, at the end of the age, he's followed by a group from the Spirit coming down. In this case, the disciples, they were still in the boat which waters represent the Spirit. So the disciples were literally behind Jesus while Jesus was just basically leading. Um, he was the only one on water. And in the case of the end of the age, he's the one fighting, but with only his word. Jesus went across the water to confront two, a demon-possessed man, or could it be Two demon-possessed men. Jesus confronts two at the end of the age in the, in the Revelation battle, a beast and a false prophet, and he defeats them both. 
The pigs went into the lake, and so will the beast and false prophet. They will go into the lake of fire. It's a symbolism of the end. Jesus will do all the heavy lifting. He will do it all, all propelled by the words of his mouth, the sword coming out of the mouth of our king. God spoke and created the universe, but we have to understand this same voice can take life as well. And at the end of the age, judgment will be rendered. Jesus truly is sovereign. And this is just a picture of the things to come. And we perhaps in this and other scenes, it, it just reveals perhaps how crippled the devil felt with Jesus walking the earth. And I mean, he lost an army in, in a moment. And I have to believe he was terrified. He, like the demons, was probably terrified that he would be judged early and that Jesus' death on the cross was best option for the devil. But annoyingly, he was falling for the oldest trick in the book, the remedy for sin, sacrifice. He just never considered Jesus himself would fulfill the law. But this was written even long ago. Even Abraham prophesied it. When his son asked where the sacrifice was, his response in Genesis 22.8 was, God himself will provide. God provided, but there's more and more. God himself provided. God himself in the manifestation of his son. Jesus had full authority and will always have full authority. But first he wanted to free man from sin through the cross before later he will judge evil once and for all. And in this episode, we see that power, that manifestation, his full capabilities of what a single word can do. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to check out the website, messagetokings.com, uh, or if you want to chat or connect with us, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.